Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Monday morning to you. I hope you have been in the Word already this morning. If not, let us be people who get into the Word of God and allow the Word of God to get into us before we get out there into the world that God so loves. Um, So just when you thought or were thinking about maybe traveling, we uh, we have been given pause over a story that I'm going to lead with today. I think it's a story we have to pay attention to. It is out of the EU. It is a story about a flight, a commercial flight from Athens to Lithuania. Uh, And let me just say that I have not thought much about exactly which countries an international flight might be flying over. I have thought about airspace as being sort of a safe space. And so if you've never given much thought when you travel internationally to exactly what nations you might be flying over, this story will give you pause next time you book a flight. The commercial flight path included a number of countries. No problem, right? Because the EU has agreements and shared protections, right? Well, yes, until yesterday when that international standard utterly collapsed. While over Belarusian airspace, a MiG fighter jet forced a commercial airliner to land. When it complied, Belarus boarded the airplane and extracted two passengers, a journalist who writes things they don't like, and his girlfriend. So this is being described as everything from a hijacking uh, to piracy to terrorism. The most important aspect of this is it was all state-sponsored by uh, a member nation, not of the EU, but of the EU's eastern partnership, Belarus. So whatever it is, it is certainly a threat to the freedom of the press, free speech, uh, international norms, uh, international security, order, the safety of the traveling public. Here's how it played out. Uh, Belarusian authorities notified the uh, the airliner that there was a security threat on board, a purported bomb. Uh, fighter jets then escorted the jet to Minsk, which was, by the way, not the closest airport where the plane might have made an emergency landing. Uh, after a show of searching the plane for the alleged bomb, Belarusian authorities removed two passengers, the dissident journalist who supports the opposition to Belarusian President uh, Lushenko and his girlfriend. And then, in a very poor attempt to cover up the fact that the journalist was targeted, after he was arrested, six other people did not get back on the plane. They had been on the airplane, but, you know, they might as well stay uh, there in Belarus because, after all, that's who they were working for. So an indication they had been part of the plan to bring the flight uh, down and extract this individual all along. So um, notable story worth worth thinking about, worth considering. Um And from a Christian worldview, just the recognition that um, freedom is not free. And everyone does not agree with with our worldview 
uh, nor the idea that people should be free to speak their mind, um, free to worship as they choose. I mean, on and on and on. So there are um, conversations to be had here and absolutely considerations to make. Okay, tomorrow marks the one-year anniversary of the death of George Floyd, and there are lots of conversations taking place about that. This one I don't want you to miss. Um, There is a Black Lives Matter activist named Sasa Johnson who is right now uh, fighting for her life. She was advocating for the abolition of the police and capitalism. She is a uh, a person who lives in um, in Great Britain, and she is in critical condition after being shot in the head in London yesterday afternoon. Um, certainly a targeted shooting and something quite unusual uh, in in the British capital. So um, these are difficult days and difficult times and difficult conversations for us to be having, but have them we must. So as a people um, who turn first to prayer, let us be mindful today of the concerns of our neighbors. Um, we are going to talk now with Dave Curing, Buring. You um, you know him from Lion Share. Uh, and we're going to talk about forgiveness, even when you don't feel like it. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. is back today. Dave, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, good morning, Carmen. How are you this morning? If your name rhymed with Keurig, it would be easier for me. <laughs> nice. Because that's my coffee, man. Okay, or my coffee yeah. maker. All right, there you go. Um, Dave, I want to talk about forgiveness. Uh, season three, episode three of your podcast. Um, forgiveness, <clears throat> even when I don't feel like it. Let's talk a little mm. bit about um the the rarity of finding people who like to forgive. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things, I think, particularly like you just said, when it comes to feeling like it, we're a culture that has often gotten used to doing things by our feelings. And as we know, as followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, that we don't do things uh, based on feelings alone. And sometimes when there's no feelings, um, love is such a thing. Um, I know I love my wife dearly. It doesn't always mean that there's emotions that go with it. Sometimes there is, sometimes there's not. I, I, I often think, Carmen, too, of Jesus on the cross. You know, when nails are being driven into hands and feet, I don't know how much there was feelings beyond what he was feeling physically. And um, And the reality is that forgiveness is one of those same kinds of things. It's a spiritual choice that we make for our own freedom and because of how good God's, God is, the freedom of those who have sinned against us. So it's that sinning against us part, Dave, that I think, um, I, as you describe, I've, I then feel uh, justified in yeah. refusing to forgive or I feel um, or I'm tempted um, by my own pain to imagine that maybe I'm exempt. Maybe, I mean, you know, maybe other people are supposed to forgive, but, you know, nobody's nobody's been wronged like I've been wronged, and I'm I'm certainly not required to forgive. Yeah, no, exactly. And the pain, the pain piece is real. It's real. And anybody that says, well, you just forgive 
in spite of, no, that's kind of not the spirit of it. The, the pain piece is real. Jesus is there with us in the midst of our pain, in the midst of the depths of it. Uh, oftentimes for me attached to pain is things like disappointment, which you know it, it, that scripture, the hope, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know, that thing can linger inside of us. Um, the idea of revenge, you know, because we think if I can execute revenge, that evens the playing field. And yet the reality is something you may do to that feels like revenge can happen and it doesn't take care of the insides because forgiveness is an inside thing. And, and God wants us to deal with this from the inside out. So let's talk about that, Dave, because the in, you know, what's going on on the inside um, is evidenced on the outside. And we're talking yeah. here, I think, about the health of our relationships. We're also talking about sort of the health of ourselves. Unforgiveness has some very real and really detrimental consequences. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, it's the, the one that I, I learned as a young guy that I don't remember even who said it, Carmen, but it just stuck inside me is unforgiveness is like a cancer or like a disease that consumes us from the inside out until it kills us. And carrying unforgiveness, it, it destroys us, even though we think by my not forgiving you and the person knowing that you're not forgiving them, that I am actually holding some kind of control over you or I'm, I'm executing my revenge on you when it's actually killing ourselves. And I think that's one of the things that's a really, really important thing. It, it also hinders our walk with God and other people. Um, I, I can't emphasize enough how unforgiveness hinders relationship in every way with God, with other people. We become, we, we move from that place of being unforgiving to bitter. And then that bitterness of, often comes out in anger and again, even though for a moment in time when that anger is executed, we might feel better, when that emotion is gone, the stuff is still inside. So Jesus died, not only so that we might know forgiveness, but also that our hearts might get to the place to forgive others. And the way I would teach my kids when they were little is forgiveness is like the ripping up of an IOU of the heart. Mm. Yeah, there's definitely a, a setting free that happens in forgiveness, um, but yeah. it's not free. So um, let's talk about that after we come back from a very, very brief break. Um, Dave Buring and I are talking about forgiveness. You can find it in Season 3, Episode 3 of his podcast, which is at lionshare.org. We'll be right back. There's always a reason to always choose joy. Continue my conversation with Dave Burring from lionshare.org. We're talking about a, uh, a podcast and a post there on forgiveness, even when we don't feel like it. Dave, let's, um, let's talk about um, what it means to uh, really release those things that we might be holding against one another and, and therefore as unforgiveness. Um, I mean, forgiveness is this setting free, but it's not if forgiveness is not free. So talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so in, its, in its essence, forgiveness is a decision that we make to release the offender, the one who sinned against us, from the penalty and guilt of the offense committed. That's really what it is. It, it, 
it frees us. It frees us from the place of anger and bitterness. And there's an internal adjustment that happens because of it. But, but just as you said, forgiveness is not free. Sin always has a price that is paid. Uh, for example, uh, if a banker pardons a loan, it means that the borrower does not have to repay the debt, but it also means that the lender suffers the loss of the money loaned and not repaid. Um, I, I think of when Cheryl and I were first married, we were missionaries with Youth of the Mission, and we were living in Kona, Hawaii, and based out of there. And and one of our teammates came in, and he was just goofing around. He, he broke one of Cheryl's, as we call them, pretties, on her shelf. And, you know, it was something of value to her. And, of course, Cheryl valued the relationship with our teammate much more, and she forgave from the heart, but we also had, had to uh, eat the expense of that pretty. And and sin is like that. You know, there it costs something, and it may have cost time in a relationship. It may have cost something going further. Uh, Carmen, I, I like to, to help people look at this by saying there's a difference between reconciliation and restoration. Reconciliation... Mm-hmm is making things right with one another. Here's how I can tell if I reconciled with a a fellow believer. I can have communion with them. Restoration is something that brings it back to like it was before. And sometimes on this side of heaven, we reconcile, but we can't always get back to restoration. Sometimes we can, because trust, it all depends again if trust is rebuilt, isn't it? But we all can reconcile, and I believe God asks us to do that. Um, yesterday in worship, one of the things my pastor was talking about was, you know, when when you come to when you come to the cross, um, even if you're you're there and you you arrived with something against me, if you at that place of kneeling look to your right or to your left, that's where you're going to find me. Mm-hmm. And if I would if I would come to the place where I can recognize that the person who has sinned against me. If they're a Christian, then this reconciliation and this restoration is really possible. But they're mm-hmm. not always a Christian, um, mm-hmm. or sometimes they are a Christian in sort of like name only. So can you mm-hmm. can you address the um, like there are people who I might be able to forgive in in I might be able to forgive them, but in reality, because they are not a Christian. Um, my relationship with them is not going to be what it might be if they were. Is that is that even like? Am I even articulating that in a way that you can understand the question? Yes, yeah. And again, I think it's this dynamic of because because in the reality, God, when we repent, God forgives us. So there's that there's that dynamic of relationship there of of the person who has sinned making it right. But the problem is is sometimes the other person doesn't doesn't understand that or doesn't want to make it right. And and the Bible still tells us that it's incumbent upon us to forgive somebody, uh, if, if nothing else, for our own freedom. And mm-hmm. it's because our forgiveness is one of the big marks of our faith. Just like love is, forgiveness is a big mark. It's what the cross is about. And so when somebody in our life doesn't understand, and, I, and I've had somebody uh, say to me, no, I don't forgive you. And I had to just, I just had to live with that for a while. And I, I had asked them to forgive. So my side of the slate was clean, but it showed me how much damage I had done in their life. Now they came back around a couple of weeks later and said, hey, I want you to know I worked this through and looked at me in the eyes and said, I forgive you. 
But there are times that we can do the best we know to do on our side. And then we pray because you don't want to see somebody stuck in unforgiveness because, again, it'll lead away inside of them like a cancer till it takes them out. And so we want to pray for that person, that they understand it, that they can receive forgiveness, that they can make things right if they're the one that needs to make things right. Um, forgiveness doesn't mean we deny the other person's responsibility for hurting us, but it also is the reality of forgiveness brings a kind of peace that helps us go on with our life even when they don't understand or they can't forgive. So I noticed um, in the um, in the podcast notes for um, for this episode, all the way down at the bottom, it invites me to um, to read chapter four in the discipleship journey. Um, can you can you tell people a little bit about this a uh, discipleship journey um, resource that's available at LionShare? Because I I think that when when people are looking for something that's just a really practical guide to help them in their journey. You guys have developed something that, you know, is exactly that. Yeah, I'd be delighted to, Carmen. So um, a discipleship journey is a manual that we have to help people grow as disciples of Jesus. We've used it now for 17 years. We've got a new update that'll be coming out even uh, as we speak. And um, it's something that um, covers a dozen different discipleship staples, if you want to say it that, like that. So it covers how do I hear God's voice? How do I walk well in relationships, i.e. this topic? What the heck is spiritual warfare? What does the cross mean to me? And what does repentance and forgiveness have to do with that? Uh, what does it mean to walk in things like the fear of the Lord or obedience to Jesus or humility? So there's a lot of developing of godly character and understanding God's ways, how he does things that people can flesh out in their lives. And so it's a great tool for you to walk with with somebody else to grow them in their faith, but it's also a great tool for you to grow as well. So that is um, a resource called A Discipleship Journey. You can find it along with a, a ton of other great resources at lionshare.org. Um, Dave, um, let me, uh, you mentioned YWAM and I, I don't think I knew that was a part of your story. Any chance, you know, Luke Moon? You know, I know that name, but I don't know. Okay. So, well, so he's an old YWAM guy as well. He now, um, uh, works with an organization called the Philos Project and he's one of our regular guests as well. And so I'm like, I don't know, maybe they know each other. So (laughs) anyway, you would, you would certainly like each other a whole lot. So um, he served, he served in Kona with, uh, with YWAM as well for a season. So, um, maybe, maybe we could get you guys together, make a connection there. Be kind of fun. Yeah. There's a saying once a YWAM or always a YWAM and I find it to be absolutely true, because no matter where I am in the world, once you find out somebody else either is or was a YWAMer, there's kind of a common DNA. So that's always right? a fun thing. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I love that. Well, as always, thank you so much for joining us. We really um, genuinely appreciate it. Again, if you guys want to um, follow Dave, uh, get the get the podcast, uh, the one we talked about today, or lots of others, also tons of other great resources, you can find him at lionshare.org. Dave, as always, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Carmen. Have a great day today. You too. You too. We'll be right back. It's the opposite of how you feel when the pain they cause. All right. We like to talk to Daniel Bennett from time to time from John Brown University uh, about things that are going on in the headlines, bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day. Uh, Daniel spends a lot of his time at the intersection of 
American politics and the Christian faith. Um, and so we're going to lead off with a with a conversation about sort of where we are in this moment in terms of the Israel-Hamas, what I will describe as ongoing conflict, but momentary peace. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. If you've seen an unexplainable or drastic change in your teen's behavior, take a closer look. It may be far more serious than those turbulent teen years. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Teens today are experimenting with drugs in a variety of ways. You may not know it, but the intoxicating substance may be found in your kitchen drawer, medicine cabinet, or garage. There are literally thousands of ways to get high that don't seem as sinister as the well-known illegal drugs, but are potentially more dangerous. Keep your eyes open for any clues that your child is experimenting with harmful substances. No matter whether they're using household items or harder drugs, take action. Mark Gregston has more helpful resources for you at ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Although the bridge is out on Interstate 40 between where Daniel Bennett and I live, uh, we're talking today. So, hey, welcome back, man. Technology is wonderful, isn't it? It's great. It's great. Should we try to drive from here to there? It would not currently be possible, but <laughs> infrastructure. It's always infrastructure week. Um, okay. Uh, so I have some questions for you because I've been following your Twitter feed before we get to um, Israel and uh, the conflict with Hamas. Would that be okay? Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would like to know about this regalia in the back seat <laughs> that was discovered by your son and how he is now Mr. Know-it-all. Yeah, so we usually I usually just keep the graduation regalia in my office, but we were going to have to do it outside because of COVID and social distancing. And so I had it in my car and it turned out we had to do it inside anyway because of the rain. And long story short, it was still in the back seat when we got in for church yesterday. And so he found my hat and immediately put it on. And he did say, in fact, he was Mr. Know-it-all. And so that's what he thinks of me. So So now there you go. Now this lets you know that there are some good things happening on Twitter. If you want to follow Daniel Bennett, he is Daniel R. Ben, B-E-N-N. Um, and that is where, among other things, you can see a really cute picture of his five-year-old son in, uh, yeah, in the hat. Okay, so speaking of um, commencement and graduation, we call it graduation, but people give commencement speeches. Can you explain that? Yeah, so it's really a way to encourage the graduating students uh, for, you know, their, their, I guess, congratulate them on their accomplishments, but also encourage them to do good work in the years ahead. Uh, sometimes it's a, you know, n- notable person from entertainment or culture. Sometimes it's a professor who's recently graduated at John Brown University. It's almost always a professor who has some connection to the university. Uh, and of course, a student will speak as well. Um, but it's really a charge to the students to make the most of their time after they've left the campus, usually somewhat inspiring. Uh, and at JBU, of course, there's a heavy element of returning to the purpose for why we're there, that is to, to advance the kingdom. Okay, and Jessica Hooten Wilson yeah. was the uh, brought the commencement address at JBU, um, yeah. and so for people who are not familiar with her, tell her, tell tell them why they should check out what she's doing. <laughs> 
Yeah, so she's fantastic. Uh, she's a former colleague of mine at John Brown University. Uh, she recently took another position at the University of Dallas. Gives her a lot more flexibility uh, to do her writing, uh, which is, I think, what her what she what her true passion is. Um, but she writes on the humanities and the arts and theology, uh, but connects it back to uh, everyday living. Um, she has a couple of books uh, recently. Uh, more scholarly, but she has something coming out uh, later this year with Brazos Press on holiness and talking about uh, literary characters in that context, Dostoevsky, Flannery O'Connor, things like that. So she's a great follow. She's a great person to read. Highly encourage you to check them out. Check her out. Yeah. She she like advocates that we should be teaching um, Hebrew and Greek in middle school, Sunday school. I mean, like it would be better. Yeah. And so anyway, she, I like her a lot. Yes. She's she's a good person to to follow. <laughs> I totally like her a lot. Okay, so let's um let's talk a little bit about where we are in the evolving situation um related to Israel and the conflict with Hamas. Yeah, so uh, you know obviously this is nothing new uh, happening in the Middle East in in that region, but uh, certainly it is the first big test of the Biden administration's foreign policy. Uh, I think it does show in many ways the success of Israel's uh, defense system to stop, you know, I think 90 percent of these rockets coming in from from Hamas. Uh, but it, it, it does show just the, the challenges in that region. Uh, and it shows the difficulty of, you know, not dealing with the overarching question of what to do with these two people groups, each claiming and in some case rightfully that they have a, a claim to certain territory and there's just not enough. Uh, what do you do in those situations? Uh, it's been a real thorn in the first uh, few months of the Biden administration. So we are in the middle of, um, or we are in um, what is now several days of a ceasefire. Uh, I, I just think, Daniel, that whenever, whenever a contemporary human being imagines that they are going to be the one that you know makes some lasting peace for Israel. Uh, it, it's as if they haven't read the whole book. And yeah. um, and so I just think it's always good to remind Christians that you got to read the whole book and and things are going the things that God has said are going to happen are going to happen. We don't know exactly when and we don't know precisely how. But but you can count on God to make good on his word. Yeah, and that's that's part of the problem in many ways. Our political system has, you know, centered on this idea that that peace in this region is is possible in our day and age. Um, and you know, there could be some more peaceful years than others, depending on who is in charge and you know the leadership and 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 all that. But at the end of the day, you're exactly right. Uh, there there is there is destined to be to be chaos and and, and violence. That doesn't mean we sit back and watch. It doesn't mean we are, are content with that. But it does mean, like you said, we continue to pray and reflect on the word. And uh, and like you said, I think read the whole book is a good way to put it. Um, so anti-Semitism is, is something that, you know, has always been true of the experience of the Jews. Um, and there are periods of time and places where we have been able to point to it and say, yep, that's what that is. We can recognize it when we see it. Um, I don't think that that here in the United States of America, a lot of Christians have been aware of um, anti-Semitic acts of hatred and violence against individual Jews and Jewish communities 
in this country, I think that we have, I think it's it's always been at a slow, low burn, but man, it is out there right now in ways that I think no one can ignore. Um, and, and there's a connection here to the conversation about religious liberty and a freedom to not only hold your set of beliefs, but do so in a place where you're you know, other people are not going to harm you for holding those beliefs. Can you just talk a little bit about the climate we find ourselves in right now? Yeah, I think in many ways it, it illustrates the fact that we're not holding to these larger principles very well at this point. Uh, but yeah, anytime there's a breakout of conflict between Israel and, a, and one of their neighbors in the Middle East, this time it's it's Hamas and Palestine, uh, you do see an uptick in at least recorded uh, anti-Semitic uh, activities uh, here at home. And they're very, it's very hard to watch, uh, whether it's people just walking down the street, minding their own business, getting beaten up, or uh, vandalism at synagogues or, or things like that. Um, but religious liberty requires not agreement with each other and uh, on these deep differences in principles, but it does require a certain level of respect and at least tolerance to disagree well. And uh, the type of activities that we're seeing now, whether it's anti-Semitic actions uh, against uh, Jews in the U.S. or Islamophobic reactions following 9/11, um, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, those types of activities aren't consistent with a with a robust and and rooted religious liberty. And so, I, I think that is something that we should be more active about embracing, especially as Christians. Right? We are in a dominant position, at least, or we have been culturally for a long time. That's you know potentially shifting. Um, but not only is it in our self interest to do that, it is, I think, the right thing to do as Christians. So I was noting, um, reading your your Substack, and if you guys want to find it, it's danielbennett.substack.com. Um, it's called Uneasy Citizenship. I was noting there that you've been reading some uh, recently, two new books on religious liberty. We have talked with um, with Andrew Walker about his book, um, It's Liberty for All. There's There are conversations happening on the topic of religious liberty, but I'm kind of imagining they're not happening at the grassroots level. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, a lot of the conversation tends to be among lawyers who are, you know, talking about Supreme Court decisions or legal arguments that could be made uh, about religious liberty. I think Andrew Walker does a really good job of trying to reorient the conversation a bit. So he's not a lawyer, he's a theologian. And his book, This Liberty for All, does attempt, and I've talked with him about this, to present an, a, a distinctly, what he calls a distinctly Baptist vision for religious liberty. And, you know, compared to the other book that I that I reviewed with it, this uh, the, uh, a book by Asma Udin, The Politics of Vulnerability, Andrew's book is a is a bit heady. Right. There's there's a lot of theology in there. And it, it's he's a theologian. He's a professor. He's writing in that way. But he's also trying to reach a more lay audience and uh, making a Christian case. This is why Christians must support religious liberty, not for the legal reasons, not for the cultural or political reasons, but because as Christians, these are the reasons we do it to be in line with God's created and restorative framework for the world. So I think that is helpful. I don't know if that's going to change the conversation, Carmen, but I do think it is a different, it is a different approach. And I, I appreciate uh, Andrew's ability to do that. And I think there are, you know, there's headlines that grab people's attention from time to time because, let's say, the, you know, the, the U.S. Supreme Court still, uh, we're still awaiting a decision for them related to, you know, foster care and the situation in Philadelphia, like, you know, in terms of religious people um, or religious institutions, you know, overseeing foster care and, and placement. I mean, some of those conversations, they, they rise to the, 
to the headline level. And so we pay attention to them for a moment. But there's this need to, at a very deep and personal level, understand what religious liberty is and religious rights so that we can have a robust conversation, not just when it you know spikes in the headlines, but because it, it needs to be sort of the rhythm of the conversation of our life. Yeah, and both of those books that I reviewed from Andrew Walker and Asma Udin, uh, that's what those books are about, right? They're, they are they do touch on contemporary issues and challenges. Both of them are making arguments that embracing this strong, uh, holistic religious liberty uh, doesn't just respond to cultural issues. It's not just reactive, but it can be proactive in promoting a healthier conversation, not only about politics, but in the case of, uh, of Andrew's book, about uh, Christian theology as a whole. And so, yes, mm-hmm. I, I think there is more of a need to do that. All right, I'm talking with Daniel Bennett. Um, we're talking across a number of topics and issues. When we come back, we're going to have a conversation about religious rights and so-called LGBTQ rights. And what does fairness look like in the conversations in the culture today? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Daniel Bennett, you can find uh, his blog at Daniel Bennett. That's two N's and two T's, danielbennett.substack.com. Uh, it's the Uneasy Citizenship blog. You can also find him at John Brown University. Um, Daniel, let's talk about sort of the ongoing and open conflict between religious rights or people of religious conviction and the rights of people who identify as a part of, I'll just use some letters here to describe it, LGBTQ uh, identity groups. Yeah. So, I mean, th- this has been the the tension for the last several years, at the very least, uh, you know, going back to Obergefell v. Hodges, the case of the Supreme Court, uh, there were hints that this was going to be an issue when the when the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage. This was, of course, the issue uh, a few years ago with Masterpiece Cake Shop. Uh, what do you do with people who are serving the public but have religious convictions that uh, instruct them to act certain ways in public? Um, this is an ongoing challenge, and it's not going away. We've talked about this on our sh- on, on the show with uh, the Religious Exemption Accountability Project. This is the center of the issue in Fulton, the city of Philadelphia, the Catholic Social Services uh, foster care case you referenced. But the bottom line is, and I think you're going to reference this piece from uh, the Christian Science Monitor, I believe, mm-hmm. just uh, being able to acknowledge differences um, but also uh, realize that those differences don't necessarily define us. There's something maybe more that defines who we are. Um, so I, I think the the approach for this uh, fairness for all, which I know you've talked about on the show before, is a good framework. It doesn't have every, it doesn't address everything, but uh, it is a good starting point. So let's um, let's touch on this a little bit more deeply. So when we when we think about fairness for all, um, we are talking about an approach. That um, I mean, I think people, you know, when you when you just use the word fairness, like they instinctively imagine, yeah, that is kind of what I want. But how do we get there and what might that look like? Yeah. So I think that's an intentional framing aspect. Right. When you hear fairness, who's going to be against fairness? Right. Everyone, oh, Mm -hmm. that sounds good to me. Uh, You know, legislatively, it gets a lot more tricky. Uh, Back in 2015, Utah attempted and actually succeeded in passing a legislative compromise, uh, granting pretty sweeping uh, civil rights protections for LGBT citizens in Utah, while simultaneously 
uh, protecting the religious uh, liberty and convictions of, of those in Utah who have disagreements. So, for example, if you're uh, an institution of uh, if you're if you're a religious institution in Utah, maybe you were granted exemptions from those civil rights protections uh, or uh, just, just to give an example of one possibility. So it's acknowledging that concessions need to be made, but also acknowledging that there are ways to protect both uh, groups. And this is, you know, pretty simplistic dichotomy, right? We're just going to separate them, but that's not necessarily always the way that it goes. Uh, there's way to protect, there's ways to protect everybody legislatively. Uh, maybe it's not, maybe it's not that everyone gets exactly what they want, but it moves us closer in a direction of living together despite these deep, deep differences. And I think that's what they mean when they say fairness. It's not, 100% fair to everybody. There's going to be people disappointed, but it moves us in the direction that's needed given the inevitabilities of these challenges. And the, and I will say that my experience has been you get extraordinary pushback from um, people who do not want to see, um, you know, Christians, quote unquote, compromise. They, they view it as a yeah. compromise of the gospel um, to allow for this kind of fairness. And then, and then I will also say, um, those on the LGBTQ advocacy side who are genuine justice warriors, there's, there is no sense that they have any interest in mutual respect nor finding common ground. No sense at all. It is a steamroller and they intend to mow you over with it. And so that's a challenge, right? We have, both groups of people have, have, I'll just describe them as as extremes, but they both view themselves as um, at some level religiously motivated and, you know, sort of in a here I stand posture. No, I think it's exactly right. And that shows the challenge for something like Fairness for All right now. There's really not an appetite uh, for it at the national level. You know, you occasionally get a congressman. uh, It's almost always a Republican congressman who will support something like this. But there's very, very little support among other Republicans in Congress and almost zero support uh, from Democrats. Um, and, and it filters down to the to the non-legislative levels as well. Uh, Andrew Walker, we've talked about him already. You know, he's a great guy. He's he's certainly in opposition to something like fairness for all, not because he wants discrimination against LGBT people, but, but because he's sincerely uh, doubtful about the long term efficacy of such a solution. Um, and at the same time, you know, folks who who are more activists in the LGBT community, they're going to look to these exemptions as basically granting legal uh, cover for discrimination. Um, so it is a tough thing. Uh, Matthew Anderson at Baylor has a great essay out in Christianity Today uh, a couple of weeks ago, basically trying to explain how we got to this point of where the Equality Act, which is uh, counter to fairness for all, much more just sweeping LGBT protections, no religious liberty exemptions, et cetera, how we got to that point. And he certainly doesn't, uh, you know, alleviate the burden on LGBT activists, but he also points to it, the history of, of Christian activism in this world, specifically going back to the 1980s and 90s, and basically saying Christians didn't really give LGBT activists much room for, or much, much reason to be optimistic you know, back in those days when we were talking about Mm -hmm. the evils of homosexuality and how it was bad for our kids, like stuff like that, that we don't really hear arguments for anymore. Um, But so Matthew Anderson really captures that, I think, historically well. And it just shows how difficult it is to move forward in a in a in a positive way. 
Okay, since you brought up Christianity today, nice segue, um, I'm just going to invite you to comment on the announcement that Russell Moore, former president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, is going to join Christianity today to lead their new public theology project. Yeah, I think it's a great get for Christianity today. Uh, Obviously, anytime you can bring Russell Moore in, I'm a big fan of Russell Moore's and uh, his consistency in the gospel and his... He's not one of these guys who equivocates on issues. He's very he's very strong on the gospel and very strong on Christian teaching. Um, he doesn't always fit the pol- the political parties you might expect, which sometimes people think that well that means he's a squish or something. That's just that's actually the opposite. He's so strong on on these issues that he doesn't fit the, either political party very strongly. Um, so I think it's a great get for Christianity Today. It's a big loss for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Um, and it, it certainly will exacerbate these tensions, I think, in the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm not a Baptist. I follow it somewhat regularly, though. Uh, there's been a lot of calls for him to be removed from that position from more politically conservative actors in the Southern Baptist Convention uh, because of his opposition to Donald Trump as, as, uh, as a candidate uh, and his, his rhetoric uh, or Trump's rhetoric in that sense. And so I was actually talking to someone uh, who, who has had some experience with the Southern Baptist Convention, and I said, geez, I guess the Southern Baptist Civil War will continue to rage. And this person responded and said, well, I think it actually just ended when, uh, when, Russell, Moore, uh, when Russell Moore left. I don't know if that's accurate, but it does capture the sentiment. Uh, overall for CT, great get. I'm excited to see this, this Christian public theology project that they're doing. I think that's going to be really interesting and, and really promising for them in the future. Yeah, and the fact that he gets to structure it is kind of cool. So, oh man, yeah, very good. Uh, I'm I'm a Russell Moore fan as well. So, Daniel, thank you so much as always for visiting with us today. Maybe the next time you come on, you you and I could work on um, unpacking uh, what is going on in the call for American renewal. Maybe a third party movement for all the sort of disenfranchised uh, uh, Democrats on one side, Republicans on the other side. Uh, you know, folks who aren't happy with either party but want a way forward that's positive. Uh, for the nation. Maybe we could uh, pick that up the next time we talk. Let's do it. All right. Thanks, man. That's Daniel Bennett. You can find him at John Brown University. You can also find him uh, on his Substack, which is his blog, Uneasy Citizenship. Daniel Bennett, that's two N's and two T's, dot substack.com. We'll be right back. All right. Thank you to all of you engaging uh, this morning on the text line. Just remember, you can always text me anything. Questions, comments, prayers, prayer requests. I'd love to engage with you there. It's 877-933-2484. We've got another great hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Our friend Linda Mendel. Linda Mental will be here when we come back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.